This week on Backyard Footy. Uh, and, and we tied. We didn't lose, we didn't win, but that was a winnable game. Yeah. Um, and I think after watching that, which was which was a very winnable game, I I uh, yeah. Jim was a friend of mine, McGinnis. He became a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the worst things in the world ever is to, uh, is to have to let a friend go, right? right. Um, so, right. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, but out of really, you know, um, my biggest thing is it's not fair to you guys, the players, if we're not in a position to – you guys work so damn hard. And you said, like, I come out to practices and watch and mm-hmm. everybody's busting their butt, you know, all day to, to try to, to win. If management doesn't help you do that, then I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. So that, that was sort of what, what led to that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's up, footy fans? It's great to be back. It's your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman. We're here for my second year anniversary and the 35th episode, where each episode I dive into the backgrounds, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, and anyone that's been involved with the game. So we're here for my second year anniversary and the 35th episode. It's been an exciting, insightful, eventful ride. I never could have imagined it growing like this, but I've learned a lot. Through all my episodes, all my guests, all the coaches, agents, trainers, posts that I've had, I've learned a lot. Even just having you guys, I might be a professional myself, but I've learned a lot listening to you guys share your experiences as well. And even learn a lot about myself. So for people who don't know, the reason why I started this podcast, I wanted to share a behind the scenes and share journeys and experiences of us soccer players and what we've done. I feel I felt like at the time there wasn't a lot of access into our journeys and experiences and people don't know really our stories, especially in the second division. It's a grind, not a lot of money, not a lot of resources, but we do this for the fun of the game, not necessarily for the money. So I wanted to share and give people an insight into what we're doing. I was literally sitting on my couch. I started this in Pittsburgh, 2018, sitting on my couch watching ESPN. I was like, you know what? I've been in this league now going on five years. I know a good amount of people throughout this league. Why isn't it really soccer players having soccer podcasts sharing what we do? Because I felt like at the time, especially now still, that people need to know what we've gone through, our experiences and our journeys so they can build some kind of connection. And that's what I felt like it's been doing over the years. So I appreciate all of your support and love. It's been real. It doesn't go unnoticed. Trust me. And I'm going to keep growing and keep growing this thing. So for me, some of my favorite episodes actually... I wanted to share with you guys some of my favorite apps throughout this year, throughout these years. So a couple of them for me was that Philly episode I had with my Philly boys back in 2018. I just left Philly the year before, then came to Pittsburgh. So to have James Chambers, Santi Moir, Chris Nanko, Marcus Epps, a good five people, somebody, I forget who else was on the show. But to have my boys come back to Pittsburgh, share their insights. Santi's from Spain. James coming from Ireland. James was in, was 
is in his 30s and for him to share how he appreciates going on the roads and traveling and hearing away crowds i never sometimes you take those things for granted so just to hear that even helped me appreciate away games more another episode of mine was the cookout episode that was a maybe one of my favorite episodes if not the favorite episode so far actually i was in dc got a videography crew got a photography crew Paid them a little bit, got all my boys together, got a good eight, nine of my boys, even had a co-host with me on the show, and they put one of the best quality production videos I've ever put together myself. I'm still very proud of that to this day. Make sure you guys go check that out on YouTube. But it was just a great, insightful episode for me to share my boys who are all ex-pros, all ex-college athletes, all doing their thing off the field. So I wanted to show people what it's like transitioning from college and club soccer and pro soccer to now doing life off the field another one for me was an american dream episode i went over to germany to visit my little sister but since i was out in germany i had a friend of mine joe jow that played for Duisburg at the time second division germany so i took a bus a couple hours traveled all the way to see my man spent the day saw the stadium in germany saw his lifestyle recorded his episode he used to be on the u.s national team used to be on dortmund with klopp all these things. This is another great episode you guys should tune into, but just to travel in Germany and go record in Germany was an experience I'll never forget. But I also wanted to share some very insightful episodes that I really, really learned a lot from. It was very intriguing for me because sometimes different perspectives like what we're going to record today and other ones like my coach's perspective with Dave Dixon. That's another one everyone should tune into. But it was a great episode because we had a very shaky year last year. But to have a coach and my first coach on the show to share insights behind the scenes from a coaching staff's perspective, you really don't get that anywhere else, especially from a struggling season. So to hear what coaches thought behind the scenes throughout the year, to hear what their thought process was, definitely was insightful and helped me grow myself off the field and on the field because now I can kind of relate and see before. Uh, sorry, but see before things start to happen based off this past episode. So definitely go listen to that one. Another insightful episode was tackling racism with Mark Wright. He To have a guy of his pedigree, he works for ESPN, interviewed guys like Shaq, Barack, um, just to name a few. But he's worked for the ESPN main headquarters. They flew him over to Spain, he traveled with some La Liga teams and some... Um, interviews with them, some behind-the-scenes things with them as well. So to have him on my show and to share those things, sharing problems with racism, not only domestically but internationally, because he wrote a bunch of articles um, in Spain and Italy as well showing their racism, and to see his work on how he's trying to change that, it's something that I'm trying to do. So to have a guy that I look up to on my show was definitely insightful and, and impactful for me. So some of my visions, I want to, and I'm in the process right now of creating some apparel. I want to um, continuously grow this brand off the field to share it. I want to give you guys some apparel to rock. All things from t-shirts, hoodies, sweats, jackets, long sleeves, crop tops, everything. I'm on the verge right now to create some apparel, so stay tuned for that. Um, so my dreams, though, I want to get this show on ESPN one day. I want this show to be televised. Maybe I have my own show, but I want to get a soccer network on ESPN out. It, it soccer deserves to grow in this country and it's growing in this country and it's going to take baby steps but a dream of mine is, is to get my own show on TV and be one of the head lead anchors to promote the game um, I want to build this brand 
big enough where I'm able to host other podcasts under my umbrella and have us connected throughout the league. I think that's very important to continuously share not only my journeys and experiences interviewing people, but have other people throughout the country doing the same thing as well. And we're all connected, sharing a brand. So, and that's, that's just not only nationally, but it's also here in Charlotte. And that's what I'm able to do with ESPN 730. And I'm working on things right things with that as well, trying to get on the radio, etc. So stay tuned for some big announcements. And so without further ado, let's introduce my next guest. I'm excited to have my first owner of a professional club team. I have the current independence owner, Jim McPhillamy, here with me. So let's dive into this special app. All right. So what's up, Jim? How's everything going? How have you been, uh, what you been up to personally during this quarantine? I, I do a lot of phone calls and I usually go for a walk while I do the phone calls. So I've been walking like eight or nine miles a day. Nice, nice, nice. Right around the neighborhood? Yeah, just uh, in it, like usually I just stick my earbuds in and, and head out. So I like that. I like that. You've, uh, have, you been, have you come up with any new hobbies or with all this free time? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm cooking a lot. It's always been a hobby, but um, it, yeah, we're just having a lot of extra time to do it. So. I know, right? That's the same thing here. I've been cooking a bunch, learning some new recipes and stuff. Got to yeah. keep time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let's uh, jump into it. So tell us how you became the independence owner and why. Well, um, they're sort of intertwined. I'll start with the, uh, um, I guess I'll just tell the story. I guess there are three things of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, love, I love sports. Um, my wife is far more successful than I am. And uh, Charlotte's a great place. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of the three things there. Um, I was years ago, back in the early 2000s, I worked uh, here for um, the Charlotte Bobcats, uh, for Bob Johnson when he owned the, a team. Um, and when Michael Jordan took over, as yep. uh, is often the case, um, you know, uh, I was asked to scoot along and he brought in his own management team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is her and um, does uh, well for herself. So, um, whatever business venture I was going to do next, I was going to do it here in Charlotte. Right. And um, as you look at Charlotte and the growth potential, especially back then, um, you know, uh, just started looking at businesses to start. And the first one we did was the lacrosse team. Uh, and then, and then we followed that up with the, with the soccer team. Gotcha. So more so you thought it would be a good, uh, business opportunity to dive into bringing professional soccer into Charlotte. Yeah. You know, at the time it was when everybody was, it's sort of like Orlando had just threaded the needle yeah. where they had taken the USL team up to, uh, to MLS and, yeah. um, my myself and Warren Smith and a couple other people all, uh, uh, sort of you know, looked at our market and said, hey, that's something I think I could do here. So mm-hmm. we uh, jumped in and uh, you know, tried to do that. What was your initial goal at first of acquiring this pro team? Uh, you know, it, um, right from the get-go, we thought the market was capable of supporting MLS. And, and um, Phil, um, Phil Rollins, who did it down in uh, – Orlando was, was a wonderful guy. 
Uh, I went down there and, and met with him for two days and he opened up his books and showed me sort of his model for how he did it. Uh, so we set about doing the same thing here. Um, you know, our, our uh, path wasn't nearly as, uh, as easy as his. We've had all kinds of detours and reroutes and, uh, but uh, you know, so uh, that's what we were trying to do. And uh, I think, look, with the USL team, uh, we got a wonderful new $40 million stadium that did get built. And uh, um, even though we're not part of the MLS thing, I still think there's a space for us here. So. Right, right. And I completely agree with that. So how's it been managing the club over the years? Uh, that's the funnest part. I mean, um, uh, you know, I've been lucky to have uh, to have Mike Jeffries along. I think he, he does a great job scouting players and uh, – putting together a team that competes every year um we've never lost the locker room we've come close once last year but we fixed that um and uh uh that's always to me the the key is you know as long as the guys are going out and um playing for each other and playing for the team you're always putting a good product on the field that's entertaining and, and we've been lucky enough to do that and every year since i've been in the league too charlotte's always usually top of the tier, hard fought games, even coming down when I used to play in Richmond, I don't think we ever beat you guys down here in Charlotte because yes, the heat, but you guys just played beautiful soccer in general and always competed and fought. So I definitely, definitely can see that. And it speaks to what you're saying. Yep. Kind of tell us some of the yearly procedures and mechanisms for you guys operating a club. Well, I think one of the, you know, obviously we're not one of the higher budget uh, teams right. in the league, but uh, one of the philosophies that I have, sort of as a as a sports owner and, and Dan D'Amico as well as as the primary owner, is that every year you owe it to the fans and to the players, the you know you guys, to put a team on the field that that is what we call championship caliber. Right. That means if everything goes right, you have a chance to win the championship. Now, you know, that, again, everything has to go right. You have to have no injuries. You have to have – but at the end of the season, if everything goes right, you, you know, you get a, um, a couple good bounces, you have a championship-caliber team. So that's sort of the way we approach every year. Um, that doesn't mean that I think I have the best team in the league every year. That just means that we're championship-caliber. If things went our way, we could win. Obviously, there's some teams that outspend us by quite a bit. But in years past, that didn't ever really matter. We can go beat those guys any day of the week. And like you said, if you get a home playoff game and get people down here in Charlotte, uh, I'll take our team against anybody. Right, and I completely agree with that. And I see that too. I feel like we were a couple of bounces away and a couple of goals away from being right there ourselves. So I definitely see that. So besides signings each and every year, what goes into like – the sponsors, investors, marketing, the stadium maintenance, how do you guys operate those things? Well, the, the county is a partner with us on the stadium, and they, of course, will be on the new one. Gotcha. Uh, uh, there's always a little bit of a rub there. We're a uh, private enterprise uh, looking to make money, and they're a public enterprise looking to do what's good, you know, the best for the public. So. Right. Um, they're a good partner. Uh, we just every once in a while approach things a little bit differently. 
Um, and uh, so, you know, we've always got that ongoing with what, you know, uh, just getting ready for the season with the, with the county. Uh, as far as sponsors go, um, you know, we added uh, Tim Schultz last year. I think you met Tim, and uh, he's, he's uh, been great on uh, um, going out, and especially, you know, since we've added the youth club mm-hmm. and um, really expanded our brand, if you will. I mean, we've got the pro team at the top of the, the – um, pyramid, but then you've got you know twelve thousand uh, other players running around wearing the independence badge. Right. So we've really been able to leverage that this year, especially for the first year. Last year we didn't sign the deal to to bring the youth club uh, above ground until uh, the spring, and so it was already during the season when all that sort of uh, kicked off. Um, but this year we've really been able to leverage it and, um, and bring the power of the youth club and the pro team together as one uh, in the corporate community and hopefully with fans. Yeah, I think that's key. From my experience coming from Richmond, the kickers have the same academy system from top to bottom, but literally everyone in the whole city at some point in their lives played some kind of Richmond youth age group. At, even if it was U7 for one year, everyone knew the kickers because you see kids and parents and everyone representing the kickers throughout the whole city. So I definitely think that's a great way to go because like you said, you see the independence everywhere. People are going to start to turn heads and ask questions who the independents are. And then as kids start to flow through and go to college and just create more success, it's going to be detrimental and important for you guys. It's going to look very good for you guys in the long run. So I agree with that. Yeah. No, that, I totally agree with that. And the great thing is 10 years from now, the kids that are 14 turn to be 24. Right. And they have kids, and then they want to take their kids to the – you know, they're like, I used to play for the independents, right? Exactly. And you go see, and it, it just sort of builds on itself over time. So uh, it, it's um, – yeah, it's definitely something we thought about. And, uh, you know, um, Thomas Finley and the guys over there that uh, run the youth club do a great job too. I agree with that. So talk to us about this past season. Why did you guys feel that hiring a new coach was the right time? The well, right- you know, a lot. So um, a lot of that had to do uh, with um, we knew that uh, things were going on in our marketplace as far as it being a hot MLS market. Mm-hmm. And um, we were trying to make some inroads uh, over with um, the owners of Celtic. Uh, over in Scotland, uh, who's a billionaire and had his eye on potentially investing in MLS in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, a lot of that was you know, relationship building. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then Jim, you know, McGinnis, uh, brilliant guy. And I, I think um, uh, just a um, – I think he uh, just took one step too far. Uh, but um, and originally, I, you know, I'd wanted him to come on board as an assistant coach in that relationship building. He really thought it was time to be uh, a head coach, um, which, uh, you know, it, I think the, the physicality of the play that we have in the United States is a lot different uh, than yep. it is internationally. And, and people don't factor that into um, 
you know, when they come here from elsewhere, they don't factor that into their thinking. Right. And I think that was what caught him off guard, frankly. Um, and I think, I think he'll actually go on to be a successful coach. And I hope this turns into something that is a catalyst for him to become a successful coach. But I think, you know, uh, go back and deal with a more European style at the outset. Because um, okay. I just think it's a little bit different here. I agree with that. It's a very physical, athletic game here. And not only that, I feel like the travel and dealing with away crowds, he might not have been used to that because it's different traveling up to New York or going out to where else we go to like Nashville, Louisville, and dealing with artificial turf and grass on stadiums too. It's just, it was just different. So I definitely can see that standpoint. But why Jim though? Were you guys looking at any other coaches? I know you're talking about the Celtic connection. Were you guys looking at anyone else? Like my uh, really, it was more an opportunity to to build a you know a relationship with the with the Celtic guys gotcha. than it was uh, anything else. Gotcha. That doesn't. Well, and we got yeah. Hey, look, we got uh, we got Gutman out of it for uh, right. uh, for the run that we had. That's a good player, man. Right. Very very true. And now look at him now doing well in uh, Cincinnati. Yep. So when managing a group did you guys realize this was going to go at, at what point in the season did you guys kind of realize that a change was needed and that it was kind of going south last season well i i did the math on um the best we've ever done uh i think it's like 1.9 points per game mm -hmm. uh is the best run we've ever had um you know if you take it over an extended period of time mm -hmm. and we got to a point where um, if we lost one more game, even if we played the best we ever had, we couldn't make the playoffs. Mm. And it was early in the season to be in that position. So um, I wanted to, uh, you know, I had to make a change then so that the season wasn't lost and we still had a chance at the playoffs, which we were, we were making a, you know, a decent run back up the table. Right. Uh, really just sort of ran out of time. Right. I agree with that. Hey, I wasn't sure if it was a certain amount of games that kind of got you guys thinking about that, or was it from you? I know you're very close to a lot of players on the team as well. Just, you know, there's trouble in the locker room, as you mentioned earlier. So based off that, I didn't know if you guys might have started to lean towards elsewhere because of what you've heard from players or just based off certain games or practices. I did see you guys at practices as well, too. Yeah, no, I, I came out to practices, but I, you know, and I do keep a, um, I do keep tabs on the locker room through, you know, um, players and everything. And, and I knew there was uh, – I knew we were getting close there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'll never forget you coming into the locker room that day and telling us that Jim's going to be fired and Mike's going to uh, kind of step in. What happened behind the scenes kind of leading up to that week? No, you know, I, I talked to uh, Jim the week before and just said, hey, man, you know, if you're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, now would be a great time to do that. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and uh, I think uh, where, where were we? We were in – I think we went to Kansas City. Is that right? The week yeah. before. And, yeah. uh, and, and we tied. We didn't, we didn't win, but that was a winnable game. Yeah. Um, and I think after watching that, which was, which was a very winnable game, I, I, uh, yeah, 
Jim was a friend of mine, McGinnis. He became a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the worst things in the world ever is to, uh, is to have to let a friend go. Right. right. Um, so, um, so anyway, uh, but out of really, you know, um, my biggest thing is it's not fair to you guys, the players, if we're not in a position to you guys work so damn hard and you said like I come out to practices and watch and mm-hmm. everybody's busting their butt you know all day to to try to to win if management doesn't help you do that then I'm not doing my job mm-hmm. so that that was sort of what what led to that I respect that a lot you only hear that from a lot of owners and it's great that I'm able to hear this from you because I didn't know these things myself but speaking on that, I can see how the relationships with the players and everyone's so tight. It's like a close-knit family because of that. You putting us first, per se, definitely turned the season around, as you saw eight-game, nine-game unbeaten run to start and then towards the end of the season, winning the last couple of months. But I felt like doing those kind of changes actually showed us that you guys care more about us than the, someone who's in the head position because we are the ones on the field at the end of the day. And... We had a very talented roster last year, the most talented roster I've ever been a part of in my life. But that doesn't really speak to everything. That's the person who's at the head of the ship can't really lead us. So I respect that a lot. Looking into the future, though, the independence, as you mentioned, is moving to the American Legion Stadium uptown. How important is that move for the growth of the club and the city? That's a different direction. This is MLS is coming down to, right? So, um, but I think we have a knit um, for what we try to do. Um, and if you're a family and your kids are involved in soccer and you want to, you know, go to a game at a great outdoor stadium, and frankly, I mean, with everything going on, who's going to want to go to a 70,000-seat stadium anytime in the near future, right? Right, right. Um, I'll, I'll take our 10,000-seat stadium downtown. We'll socially distance everybody. and Right. Uh, <laughs> everybody can sit in uh, with their family and leave some mm-hmm. space between them. But I think that's just going to be a, a great experience for soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, the, the line between MLS and it's a thing. I mean, obviously they have you know, um, four or five players in each roster that are, um, you know, outstanding. But when you drop down to the rest of the roster, uh, it's a thin line. And, um, right. and on any given day, a USL championship team, uh, if they get a good break, can go uh, you know, beat an MLS team. Right. So I think right. you're going to see for a much better price point a very competitive product in an easier environment to get in and out of. And, uh, you know, um, so I think there's going to be a spot for us there, and I think we can do all right. Besides having us there and playing matches there, what other plans do you have for the stadium? Well, the um, you know it, it's a it's a, a community asset. So um, as far as that goes, the you know we're a tenant. Um, we're the preferred tenant, uh, which means that we get to pick our dates first, and um, 
uh, you know, make sure that we are set up to succeed uh, there. But um, after that, I mean, I think we're just going to try to be as good a tenant as we can. Right. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great spot. I mean, it, it's going to yeah. be, I mean, the, uh, you know, we obviously had the uh, lacrosse team played down there for a number of years. And when you're you know, playing a game and you look back in and the lights of downtown are on your background and it, you know, you sort of look uphill at the city from there. Right. It's just a great, great venue. I, in fact, I think it's probably one of the better uh, small venues in the United States once it's done. I think it'll be that good. Yeah, I live down the road from it, too. I drive past it every day going to training, and I see it. And Prime there, location, beautiful views, great stadium. I completely agree with that. And they're still killing it there. They're, like, moving. Oh, really? They're, oh, yeah, they're doing a great job. I mean, wow. uh, I, just, I just had a call yesterday and uh, um, just, you know, checked in. and But it seems like everything's on time. So. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So the, the big question, though, is how have you been managing this club during quarantine? I know it hasn't been easy. I know owners are losing money and things. How have you been managing this club? Well, um, I got to say, in some ways, it's easier because there's nothing going on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Day-to-day thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of calls right now with the league. Um, that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest thing and in, in, uh, in, in the ownership of the other teams. Right. Um, in a way, uh, David Tepper did us a favor. Um, mm-hmm. We really sort of, uh, once he got the MLS team, we tightened our belt financially. Right. Uh, we didn't do that with the team. We still have a good roster and everything. Uh, but in the front office, and as far as all that stuff goes, uh, we tightened our belt. So going into um, this totally unexpected pandemic, Right. Uh, you know, our our uh, burn rate uh, compared to some other teams is significantly less. Mm-hmm. So in, in a weird way, we're positioned better for this than other teams that were rolling along. Like if we'd had the Memorial Stadium opening up next year mm-hmm. and no MLS team here, we probably would have built out the front office, you know, and had like more staff. And then all of a sudden you have this, uh, you know, lag in, in – business where there's zero revenue coming in we have right. zero revenue coming in right. we would not have been set up to withstand that so um i think uh you know um i would have personally you know loved to have the independence uh somehow be part of what he was doing um he's a guy that uh has traditionally worked on his own right uh, i understand that um so uh um, it's his prerogative to do what he wants. And he's obviously the guy that, uh, that got MLS here. So, right. um, yeah, we just, we move on and, and do what we do. And, uh, uh, one day, hopefully I'll be able to have a beer with him. <laughs> right. So what's the league kind of been saying to you guys? As far as just like, uh, as well, yeah, when will we be returning? How, you know, they're going to manage the schedule and traveling and things? Yeah, I think um, uh, first and foremost, which any league will tell you, is um, player safety first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when do we think we can get you guys together where you know, some stuff change? Like you'll have a 
water bottle that says Hugh, we're not going to walk out with six water bottles and you guys all you know, shoot water in your mouth. You know, it's going to be, you're going to have your own towel. You're going to have your own, there's going to be lots of stuff that changes as far as that stuff goes. But um, I think we're waiting to understand when it will be safe. And just like everybody else, we don't know the answer to that. Right. Um, I would say that's the biggest thing at the league is we share questions. Um, you know, nobody has an answer. So uh, um, I don't even think, you know, Dr. Fauci has an answer, right? Um, right it's just right. everybody saying, hey, uh, you know, what do we think? Now, um, we do think that we'll be able to kick a ball at some point this year. We right. don't know what that's going to look like. And, you know, I think everybody – really what we usually say is – all right, let's reconvene again in two weeks and see if we know more in two weeks than we did two weeks ago, right? Um, so that's really um, – I, I would say the biggest thing that I've taken away from everything is this is such an unexpected and um, sour thing to happen, right? Um, obviously, people are dying. That's the horrible thing. But it's also shutting down the economy. It's um, – it's making a lot of people really sick. But when I'm on these calls, the positivity of ownership across the entire league um, lifts me back up. That's Everybody's awesome. in a good, like, nobody's trying to figure out how not to do stuff. They're trying to figure out how to do stuff. Everybody's like, okay, when we come out the other side, what's this going to look like? And how do we, you know, how do we go from there? So nice. collectively the calls are great to be on because you hear other people being positive and it sort of fires you back up. That's awesome. I like to hear that. But I know a lot of these clubs depend on fans, attendance, fans selling merchandise, buying merchandise, sorry, and little things like that. And I was hearing about a possibility of the league getting split into like three or four different divisions just to reduce the travel on players because if we're going to play a bunch of games within these couple months, it's going to be a lot. So that's great to yeah, hear. They've, no. they've had lots of stuff leak out. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we were on our call last week and there was immediately an article in the athletic, like right afterwards or something. But the, the funny thing is most of it is snippets of, of our conversation. We had a two hour, 15 minute call. Wow. And then somebody pulls out, yeah. Like, have we discussed, you know, doing a sort of a pod system where it's regionalized and there's less travel costs, of course, because we've talked about 20 different ways of doing things, right? right? Um, so uh, when one thing gets singled out, like I said, I think every, what everybody's trying to figure out is how to do things, right? right. So there's so many things that get thrown against the wall um, on like, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And uh, the um, but the overall tenor is everybody's trying to figure out how we do stuff, not how we don't do stuff. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So what's kind of your goals and visions for the club? Well, um, look, I've, I've been in sports and I've been in team sports since 2000s, I guess. Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, so early 2000s. Um, and one of the things I've always had as a personal goal is to win a North American championship and right. have a championship ring. Um, I've never been part of a team that's done that. And uh, so that's, that's a, a, a personal goal that uh, I'd Me like too. to see happen. So good. Me. Maybe we will. Uh, you can put the ring on my finger and I'll put it on yours. Sounds good with me. I like that a lot. Yes, sir. That sounds great. 
What do you uh, miss most about the season? Uh, just everybody. I mean, you know, you, you know me. I, I like to, you know, pop my head in the locker room. I, I like to go on the field afterwards and, uh, you know, give all you guys a hug. And I, I love to go hang out with the supporter group and have a beer and see all my friends. And uh, it's really part of our family's lives. We've been doing it, you know, for, you know, uh, keep in mind, you know, ever since we've lived in Charlotte, I've worked either for the Bobcats or somebody like going to games is part of what the whole family does. And uh, it's something that we miss. Yeah. So I like that. So lastly, you have some fan questions. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but some people have been reaching out to you. Um, and for people who are listening now, some of the questions are already answered in this interview too. So I won't ask a lot of your questions, but like I said, it's been answered already. So the first one's from Brandon Miller. He wants to know, would you rather win the USL or the Open Cup? <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say U.S. Open Cup. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, you know, if the, uh, if you can win the, you know, Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, that, that'd be outstanding, right? right? That'd be, you're the, you're technically, you're the best team in North America, North America. there, shooting everybody. So that's, that's better, right? I like that. And go to Champions League and play the big time. Yeah, heck yeah. Great. <laughs> Right, right. Nah, I like that one a lot. Matt TW wants to know, are there any pieces of sports memorabilia that you've collected over the years that you're proud of since you've been doing this? You know, the uh, funny thing is I've got tons and tons of stuff uh, that I have. Col See, the problem is I don't collect it. I get it and then lose it. <laughs> 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 so um, I've gotten cool stuff in the past, but I, you know, I, I don't know where most of it is. And uh, um, it would be, I, I'm more of a guy that looks forward than backward. Like so uh, um, as soon as I get stuff, I'm usually like, oh, that's cool. But you know. <laughs> what do you usually collect jerseys or bobbleheads or something? Posters? Uh, I've got a bunch of jerseys. I've got, you know, um, I got, I got a ton of pictures with people that, you know, back in the old days when it wasn't digital and stuff. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, I think I, I have one of Shaq's shoes around someplace. And, wow. you know, who knows where all the stuff is. So. Wow. Ben Gorshon wants to know, how are things going with bringing an NWS, NWSL club to Charlotte? And what's a realistic timetable for fans to expect the NWSL club to begin? Well, um, I'm a learning, mech uh, learning organism, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think what, what we do depends a lot on what the NWSL does and really more United States soccer does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there was talk right now, the NWSL is the top, top league. Right. Um, and they're trying to figure out internally what they're going to do right, where they're going to align. And I, I, I'm not inside those meetings, so I don't hear exactly what's going on. Right. But the one thing I don't want to do is get in a situation where I'm going head-to-head -head with, with um, David Tepper again because um, he's got – right now what I hear is he's got $12 billion, which is $12 billion more than I have. <laughs> so um, – uh, so although I love the sports and usually figure out how to piece it together, I, I don't want to go head to head with him and, right. um, 
it's so it really is more dependent on how they structure stuff. I think the new American Legion Memorial Stadium will be the perfect size in the long run mm-hmm. for you know a ten thousand seat intimate stadium for mm-hmm. you know for both our products for the men's team and or for a women's team. Um, I think it'd be much better than trying to watch that over in Panther Stadium. But um, but just because I think that doesn't mean that's what will happen. Uh, so um, so I'm actually just sort of waiting and seeing how all that shakes out at the United States Soccer Federation level, at the NWSL level, at the USL level, and and obviously, you know, um, I keep tabs on on um, what uh, Tom Glick and and David Tepper are doing over there as well, because really they they get to tell us what what we're doing. That makes sense. And lastly, from Charles Houston, he wants to know, what are your personal goals for the club, both on and off the field for the next couple of years? And how do you plan on utilizing the youth club partnership? Well, like I said, I see the youth club as being our long-term fan base. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, once you wear a badge, it means something to you. Um, no matter what the badge is. And I think, you know, in five years, 10 years, people are going to have worn the independence badge and they're going to be like, that's the team I used to play for. Let's go see them play. Right. Um, Now, I I think that Tom Glick and those guys will put together a successful major league soccer team, but I think you can consume us a lot differently, right? If you're taking a family of four to us and we're costing you – you know, 60 to 80 bucks, they're going to cost you 400 bucks to go to their match, right? So it's two different mindsets. Um, So, um, you know, I I think there is a uh, feeds into the the narrative of pro club. Um, With the pro club, you know, I I think the USL is going places. Um, I think I need to you know, uh, obviously, you know, you're always keeping an eye on competition, right? And I've got um, major league soccer competition just down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need to keep an eye on on them and what they're doing and make sure that that niche exists for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I would say that, you know, long term, the goal, like you and I talked about, is uh, to uh, win a championship Um and uh, I just think that would be uh, great, you know. I think so, too. Well, Larry, Jim, I appreciate you for coming on the show. It's been a great, insightful episode. I know a lot of people have been dying to hear your experiences and just your insight in general. So I appreciate you coming on the show again. Hey, I had a great time and, good, you know, good seeing you since I can't see you. you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll see you at the stadium. Can't wait. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye. We're going to be very exciting this year, so I think it'll be good for people to see that up close and personal. But I thank you again, everybody, for listening. It was a great, insightful episode. Feel free to follow Jim on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to reach out to me and let me know what you thought about this episode. Subscribe, rate, and let me know what you think. Backyard Footies brought to you by the BGN Network of Podcasts. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the BGN FM. Talk to you soon, footy fans.